Chapter Five, Part Three of Raffles: Further Adventures of the Amateur Cracksman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Kristen Hughes. Raffles: Further Adventures of the Amateur Cracksman by E. W. Horning. Chapter Five: To Catch a Thief, Part Three. Raffles was standing over me when I recovered consciousness. I lay stretched upon the bed across which that blackguard Belleville had struck with his knavish blow. The suitcase was on the floor, but its dastardly owner had disappeared. "'Is he gone?' was my first faint question. "'Thank God you're not, anyway,' replied Raffles, with what struck me then as mere flippancy. I managed to raise myself up on one elbow. "'I meant Lord Ernest Belleville.' said I, with dignity. Are you quite sure that he's cleared out? Raffles waved a hand towards the window, which stood wide open to the summer stars. Of course, said he, and by the route I intended him to take. He's gone by the iron ladder, as I hoped he would. What on earth should we have done with him? My poor dear Bunny, I thought you'd take a bribe. But it's really more convincing as it is, and just as well for Lord Ernest to be convinced for the time being." "'Are you sure he is?' I questioned, as I found a rather shaky pair of legs. "'Of course,' cried Raffles again, in a tone to make one blush for the least misgiving on the point. "'Not that it matters one bit,' he added airily, "'for we have him either way, and when he does tumble to it, as he may any minute, he won't dare to open his mouth.' "'Then the sooner we clear out the better,' said I, but I looked askance at the open window, for my head was still spinning." "'When you feel up to it,' returned Raffles, "'we shall stroll out, and I shall do myself the honour of ringing for the lift. The force of habit is too strong in you, Bunny. I shall shut the window and leave everything exactly as we found it. Lord Ernest will probably tumble before he is badly missed, and then he may come back to put salt on us, but I should like to know what he can do, even if he succeeds. Come, Bunny, pull yourself together, and you'll be a different man when you're in the open air.' and for a while I felt one. Such was my relief at getting out of those infernal mansions with unfettered wrists. This we managed easily enough, but once more Raffles' performance of a small part was no less perfect than his more ambitious work upstairs, and something of the successful artist's elation possessed him as we walked arm in arm across St. James's Park. It was long since I had known him so pleased with himself, and only too long since he had had such reason. "'I don't think I've ever had a brighter idea in my life,' he said. "'Never thought of it till he was in the next room. "'Never dreamt of its coming off so ideally even then. "'And didn't much care, because we had him always up. "'I'm only sorry you let him knock you out. "'I was waiting outside the door all the time, "'and it made me sick to hear it. "'But once I broke my own head, Bunny, if you remember, "'and not in half such an excellent cause.' "'Raffles touched all his pockets in his turn.' the pockets that contained a small fortune apiece, and he smiled in my face as we crossed the lighted avenues of the mall. Next moment he was hailing a hansom, for I suppose I was still pretty pale, and not a word would he let me speak until we had alighted as near as was prudent to the flat. "'What a brute I've been, Bunny,' he whispered then. "'But you take half the swag, old boy, and right well you've earned it. "'No, we'll go in by the wrong door and over the roof.' 
It's too late for old Theobald to still be at the play, and too early for him to be safely in his cups. So we climbed the many stairs with cat-like stealth, and like cats crept out upon the grimy leads. But to-night they were no blacker than their canopy of sky. Not a chimney-stack stood out against the starless night. One had to feel one's way, in order to avoid tripping over the low parapets of the L-shaped wells that ran from roof to basement to light the inner rooms. One of these wells was spanned by a flimsy bridge with iron handrails that felt warm to the touch as Raffles led the way across. A hotter and closer night I have never known. "'The flat will be like an oven,' I grumbled at the head of our own staircase. "'Then we won't go down,' said Raffles promptly. "'We'll slack it up here for a bit instead. "'No, Bunny, you stay where you are. "'I'll fetch you a drink and a deck-chair, "'and you shan't come down till you feel more fit.' "'And I let him have his way. "'I will not say as usual, "'for I had even less than my normal power of resistance that night. "'That villainous uppercut. "'My head still sang and throbbed, "'as I seated myself on one of the aforesaid parapets, "'and buried it in my hot hands. "'Nor was the night one to dispel a headache.' There was a distinct thunder in the air. Thus I sat in a heap, and brooded over my misadventure, a pretty figure of a subordinate villain, until the step came for which I waited, and it never struck me that it came from the wrong direction. "'You have been quick,' said I, simply. "'Yes,' hissed a voice I recognized. "'And you've got to be quicker still. Here, out with your wrists. No, one at a time.' and if you utter a syllable you're a dead man. It was Lord Ernest Belleville. His close-cropped iron-gray mustache gleamed through the darkness, drawn up over his set teeth. In his hand glittered a pair of handcuffs, and before I knew it one had snapped its jaws about my right wrist. "'Now, come this way,' said Lord Ernest, showing me a revolver also, "'and wait for your friend. And recollect a single syllable of warning will be your death.' With that the ruffian led me to the very bridge I had just crossed at Raffles's heels, and handcuffed me to the iron rail midway across the chasm. It no longer felt warm to my touch, but icy as the blood in all my veins. So this high-born hypocrite had beaten us at our game and his, and Raffles had met his match at last. That was the most intolerable thought, that Raffles should be down in the flat on my account— and that I could not warn him of his impending fate. For how was it possible without making such an outcry as should bring the mansions about our ears? And there I shivered on that wretched plank, chained like Andromeda to the rock, with a black infinity above and below, and before my eyes, now grown familiar with the peculiar darkness, stood Lord Ernest Belleville, waiting for Raffles to emerge with full hands and unsuspecting heart. Taken so horribly unawares, even Raffles must fall an easy prey to a desperado in resource and courage scarcely second to himself. But one whom he had fatally underrated from the beginning. Not that I paused to think how the thing had happened. My one concern was for what was to happen next. And what did happen was worse than my worst foreboding— for first a light came flickering into the sort of companion hatch at the head of the stairs, and finally Raffles, in his shirt-sleeves. He was not only carrying a candle to put the finishing touch to him as a target, 
he had dispensed with coat and waistcoat downstairs, and was at once full-handed and unarmed. "'Where are you, old chap?' he cried softly, himself blinded by the light he carried, and he advanced a couple of steps towards Belleville. "'This isn't you, is it?' And Raffles stopped, his candle held on high, a folding-chair under the other arm. "'No, I am not your friend,' replied Lord Ernest easily. "'But kindly remain standing exactly where you are, and don't lower that candle an inch, unless you want your brains blown into the street.' Raffles never said a word, but for a moment did as he was bid, and the unshaken flame of the candle was testimony alike to the stillness of the night and to the finest set of nerves in Europe. Then, to my horror, he coolly stooped, placing candle and chair on the leads, and his hands in his pockets, as though it were but a pop-gun that covered him. "'Why didn't you shoot?' he asked insolently as he rose. "'Frightened of the noise? I should be too with an old pattern machine like that. All very well for service in the field, but on the housetops at dead of night.' "'I shall shoot, however,' replied Lord Ernest, as quietly in his turn, and with less insolence. "'And chance the noise, unless you instantly restore my property.' "'I'm glad you don't dispute the last word,' he continued after a slight pause. "'There is no keener honour than that which subsists, or ought to subsist, among thieves. And I need hardly say that I soon spotted you as one of the fraternity. Not in the beginning, mind you. For the moment I did think you were one of these smart detectives jumped to life from some sixpenny magazine. But to preserve the illusion, you ought to provide yourself with a worthier lieutenant.' "'It was he who gave your show away,' chuckled the wretch, dropping for a moment the affected style of speech, which seemed intended to enhance our humiliation. "'Smart detectives don't go about with little innocence to assist them. You needn't be anxious about him, by the way. It wasn't necessary to pitch him into the street. He is to be seen, though not heard, if you look in the right direction. Nor must you put all the blame upon your friend.' It was not he, but you, who made so sure that I had got out by the window. You see, I was in my bathroom all the time with the door open. "'The bathroom, eh?' Raffles echoed with professional interest. "'And you followed us on foot across the park?' "'Of course.' "'And then in a cab? And afterwards on foot once more?' "'The simplest skeleton key would let you in down below.' I saw the lower half of Lord Ernest's face grinning in the light of the candle set between them on the ground. "'You follow every move,' said he. "'There can be no doubt you are one of the fraternity, and I shouldn't wonder if we had formed our style upon the same model. Ever know A. J. Raffles?' The abrupt question took my breath away, but Raffles himself did not lose an instant over his answer. "'Intimately,' said he. "'That accounts for you, then.' laughed Lord Ernest. As it does for me, though I never had the honour of the master's acquaintance, nor is it for me to say which is the worthier disciple. Perhaps, however, now that your friend is handcuffed in mid-air, and you yourself are at my mercy, you will concede me some little temporary advantage. And his face split into another grin from the cropping moustache downward, as I saw no longer by candlelight, but by a flash of lightning which tore the sky in two before Raffles could reply. "'You have the bulge at present,' admitted Raffles, "'but you have still to lay hands upon your, or our, ill-gotten goods. 
to shoot me is not necessarily to do so. To bring either one of us to a violent end is only to court yet a more violent and infinitely more disgraceful one for yourself. Family considerations alone should rule that risk out of your game. Now, an hour or two ago, when the exact opposite— The remainder of Raffles' speech was drowned from my ears by the belated crash of thunder, which the lightning had foretold. So loud, however, was the crash when it came, that the storm was evidently approaching us at a high velocity. Yet as the last echo rumbled away, I heard Raffles talking as though he had never stopped. "'You offered us a share,' he was saying. "'Unless you mean to murder us both in cold blood, it will be worth your while to repeat that offer. We should be dangerous enemies. You had far better make the best of us as friends.' "'Lead the way down to your flat.' said Lord Ernest, with a flourish of his service revolver, and perhaps we may talk about it. It is for me to make the terms, I imagine, and in the first place I am not going to get wet to the skin up here. The rain was beginning in great drops even as he spoke, and by a second flash of lightning I saw Raffles pointing to me. "'But what about my friend?' said he. Then came the second peal. "'Oh, he's all right,' the great brute replied. "'Do him good.' You don't catch me letting myself in for two to one. You will find it equally difficult, rejoined Raffles, to induce me to leave my friend to the mercy of a night like this. He has not recovered from the blow you struck him in your own rooms. I am not such a fool as to blame you for that, but you are a worse sportsman than I take you for if you think of leaving him where he is. If he stays, however, so do I. And just as it ceased— Raffles's voice seemed distinctly nearer to me, but in the darkness and the rain, which was now as heavy as hail, I could see nothing clearly. The rain had already extinguished the candle. I heard an oath from Belleville, a laugh from Raffles, and for a second that was all. Raffles was coming to me, and the other could not even see to fire. That was all I knew in the pitchy interval of invisible rain before the next crash and the next flash. And then! This time they came together, and not till my dying hour shall I forget the sight that the lightning lit and the thunder applauded. Raffles was on one of the parapets of the gulf that my footbridge spanned, and in the sudden illumination he stepped across it as one might across a garden path. The width was scarcely greater, but the depth! In the sudden flare I saw to the concrete bottom of the well, and it looked no larger than the hollow of my hand. Raffles was laughing in my ear. He had the iron railing fast. It was between us, but his foothold was as secure as mine. Lord Ernest Belleville, on the contrary, was the fifth of a second late for the light, and half a foot short in his spring. Something struck our plank bridge so hard as to set it quivering like a harp-string. There was half a gasp and half a sob in mid-air beneath our feet, and then a sound far below that I prefer not to describe. I am not sure that I could hit upon the perfect simile. It is more than enough for me that I can hear it still. And with that sickening sound came the loudest clap of thunder yet, and a great white glare that showed us our enemy's body far below, with one white hand spread like a starfish, but the head of him mercifully twisted underneath. It was all his own fault, Bunny, poor devil. May he and all of us be forgiven." but pull yourself together for your own sake. Well, you can't fall. Stay where you are for a minute. 
I remember the uproar of the elements while Raffles was gone. No other sound mingled with it. Not the opening of a single window, not the uplifting of a single voice. Then came Raffles with soap and water, and the jive was wheedled from one wrist, as you withdraw a ring for which the finger has grown too large. Of the rest, I only remember shivering till morning in a pitch-dark flat, whose invalid occupier was for once the nurse, and I his patient. And that is the true ending of the episode, in which we two set ourselves to catch one of our own kidney, albeit in another place I have shirked the whole truth. It is not a grateful task to show Raffles as completely at fault as he really was on that occasion, nor do I derive any subtle satisfaction from recounting my own twofold humiliation, or from having assisted never so indirectly in the death of a not uncongenial sinner. The truth, however, has after all a merit of its own, and the great kinsfolk of poor Lord Ernest have but little to lose by its divulgence. It would seem that they knew more of the real character of the apostle of rational drink than was known at Exeter Hall. The tragedy was indeed hushed up as tragedies only are when they occur in such circles, but the rumour that did get abroad, as to the class of enterprise which the poor scamp was pursuing when he met his death, cannot be too soon exploded, since it breathed upon the fair fame of some of the most respectable flats in Kensington. End of chapter 5, part 3